afternoon, um, Ecclesia. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, glad to be able to join you here this after this morning. I'm so used to saying good afternoon, just with this usual long from a long time of um, us getting together, usually from about eleven, and then the sermon starts after twelve-ish. But grateful to God for the um, privilege of standing here um, and trusting that by God's grace, indeed, as uh, Pastor Ephraim was praying earlier on, we would have um, the delight of receiving God's word this afternoon as he leads us through and continuing in this series, Servant, Savior, Son of God. Um, <clears throat> And just as we come to the final week in this account, final week of events um, leading up to Jesus Christ's crucifixion, it's interesting uh, to see that, to note that, and bear in mind that these events that we see happening, that we will see happening from now on till the end of um, this series in Mark, they're not chance events, you know, they're not things that happen just because, you know, um, as we would experience ordinarily in life, you know, Jesus didn't end up on the cross because, you know, uh, Peter was the only one who put up a fight on the night of his arrest or, you know, Judas got greedy. These are things which God in his counsel had determined and purposed to come to pass. So, we enter into the final week um, in Jesus' ministry as he indeed makes a deliberate and intentional move and heads towards Jerusalem in this week. So all that to say, Jesus, Jesus was well in control, in anguish of death, but of his own free will and choice, determined to reach the cross so that he may deliver salvation for all, as we will see. Um, as we, before we uh, get into the message, I just want to invite you all <coughs> to turn with me, or turn with us. I'm sure there's, there's probably some who know we're in chapter 11 today, but I invite you all who are watching, if you just join us for, for the first time today, to turn to Mark chapter 11. Let's read the text in any version um, you have available. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, please just follow along as we read, and then I'll pray, and then we'll go through the uh, text. Um, <clears throat> Mark chapter 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. 
As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowds spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had caught in the fields. Um, Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the, on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, uh, um, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned turned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves, because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. Verse 20. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you caused has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Um, again, they entered Jerusalem. Verse 27. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. 
they talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But, we, but do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus replied, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We really thank you. Because um, these accounts, all of this word, everything that is written even for us to, and, and is read to our hearing today, Lord, you have preserved. All of these um, treasures of wisdom, of knowledge, of even these accounts and the testimony of Jesus Christ, you've preserved for us. And by your mercy, Lord, and by your grace, you let us into these things. That we may know, indeed, how we would live our lives now in the light of this word. So I pray, Father, um, let us receive from you today. Let us, indeed, hide ourselves in you today. In the midst of all the calamity, in the midst of the pestilence even that we see now in the world, in the midst of all the hopelessness. Pastor Ephraim was praying and, leading and reading earlier on, you know, and talking about us being able to hide in you who is never changing, hide in you who is constant. Lord, you don't change. You don't suddenly fail and fall out of favor. Lord, you are God and you're God forever. You're God who is eternal. And even your son, Jesus Christ, is our Lord, is our Savior, and indeed is God with us. And so we pray, Father, that even as you um, guide us today, as you lead us in your, in your word, you will show us, Lord, how indeed you are the one who appoints your chosen Savior. You're the one who, who judges over everything. You're the one who is Lord, who holds all authority and power, and none can contend with you. Lord, thank you. Help us to see these things, Lord God. Despite what, when things seemed to, to work to the contrary, or seem to appear to the contrary, to remain trusting and confident in your, in, your, in your reign, Lord. We thank you, even as you guide us into your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've, um, we come to, like I said earlier on, the, the, the final week in Jesus' ministry. And um, again, it's, it's worth reiterating that indeed, <laughs> regardless of how things turn out, um, this is indeed a, um, a glorious or a triumphal return of God's chosen savior, of God's judge who is appointed, and of the Lord who has authority over everything. Before, we, before this time, um, or rather, as we go into the text, we're just going to see some things here. And that's what I'm going to attempt to, to do, even as we walk through, walk through this, walk through chapter 11 of Mark. Um, because God has 
indeed made Jesus and appointed him Savior, we can trust in Christ for salvation and for the salvation that he delivers. We will see that we can actually remain in Christ as well so that we bear fruit for his pleasure. And because Christ is Lord, we can count on his power in prayer, which is made available to us to take part in through faith in him. And we can do all of these things despite the challenges and opposition of those who reject him as savior uh, or as judge or as Lord. Now, first of all, because Jesus is Savior, we can indeed trust him for the salvation he delivers. We read as we um, go into the first 11 verses of, this, of the text about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. It's um, interesting to see how Jesus proceeds and enters into Jerusalem because in this, in before now, we read of accounts where Christ goes about in ministry and um, there you get that sense of him wanting not to be announced, wanting not to be publicly known, wanting not to be revealed to the general public as such so that he can carry on and go about his ministry. But here we see Jesus presenting himself as God's chosen savior by announcing his role as Messiah, entering into Jerusalem in, the manner that, in a manner that fulfills prophecy, both publicly and intentionally. You see, when we read in, verse, in, the, in, the, in this uh, first 11 verses, and Mark, Mark takes care to show us several things that Jesus did that just demonstrate this. Whether by preparation, whether by um, pre-arrangement, or even by his infinite and omniscience, by, by his omniscience, Jesus directs his disciples into a village to go to a particular place where they'll find a young donkey and ask them to untie it and bring it to him. Now, what's so important about this? Why is this of any significance that Mark should highlight these details? Um, well, one second. That Mark should highlight these details. Well, because Christ specifically directs his um, his, his disciples to go and get this coat and bring to him, they intentionally fulfill a prophetic word of God announcing the arrival of Israel's king, the arrival of Jerusalem's king, which we find in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Let me turn there for a second. Beg your pardon. 
Okay, here we go. feels <laughs> good to have this as a backup okay and in Zechariah chapter 9 um, and verse 9 okay the, the scripture reads there in Zechariah and this is a prophecy that God uh, gave, speaks through the prophet Zechariah to Israel, um, to, to Israel, just returning from just returning from per, from, ex, from Persian exile, and um, word to encourage Israel indeed about and and remind them of God's mercy, God's kindness, God's favor, fulfilling His His faithful promise to bring uh, to show His kindness and and keep His covenant with Israel. And in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, we read there, Rejoice, O people of Zion, or rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here is Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, just before Passover and arriving in this manner that indeed to all who would be present at this time, Passover is an annual festival. All the spiritual leaders uh, of Israel will be there. This is the beginning. This is the marking of their new year. Those who would be the high priests, teachers of the law, all who would know this would see and consider Hmm. This is not Jesus who um, would quietly go about preaching, but here he is entering into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey that's never been ridden, ridden before, just like the prophecy says. Um, anyone who knows this would see and perceive, what is this guy really trying to say here what's the point here you cannot be mistaken about the entrance that jesus makes to jerusalem not only does he enter in on a cult but then the people rejoice the people celebrate his arrival the people actually um because this is this is a fold that has never been written written before first of all his disciples place their coats on its back improvising a saddle for Jesus to sit upon. And then others lay their coats on the floor or on the ground, on the track that the donkey will tread upon. And yet others branches as he makes his way into Jerusalem. Now let, let's check this out. People would ordinarily be walking into Jerusalem for Passover. This is, Jerusalem is heaving at this time. And here is this crowd hailing celebrating this one who rides in on a donkey 
the scene is, uh, it just reminds me of, I remember telling you about this series, this ancient, um, hist- this ancient series I watched about Turkish history where you have these victors and warriors coming back in from war and bringing their captives behind them, but they ride in gallantly. This one is riding in an occult and people are celebrating and, and uh, welcoming him in. He's at the center of the procession and the people praise God, blessing the one who comes in the name of the Lord, declaring, and um, Mark make, makes a point of this, pointing this out to his readers, that here is the Messiah, here is God's Savior, announced, celebrated, and brought in to Jerusalem, fulfilling the promises of God. The promise of God for of him is for Messiah. And so he comes in as God's chosen savior here. Um, now, it, just reading this in the first instance, I thought, hmm, what's the likelihood of Jesus just setting this up so that it looks like, you know, his fulfilling prophecy? And bearing in mind that this is not just this is just one of several prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Well, uh, I think I've heard Pastor Rob share this some time before. It's like the, the, the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling this is, is one in 10 to the 17th power of him fulfilling this and other prophetic word about the Savior, about the Messiah, the one who would bring salvation to not just Israel, but even to all of us now. What is that chance like? It's, it's like taking silver dollars, I don't know how many of us are familiar with the U.S. currency, and covering the entire state of Texas two feet deep with those silver dollars, blindfold somebody and say, go find this one particular silver dollar which I've marked. And they go straight, find that silver dollar, and bring it out. That's the chance or the likelihood that Jesus would actually fulfill these prophecies. But here he is, fulfilling prophecy, uh, announcing that Jesus indeed is God's chosen Savior, announcing his role as Messiah by entering Jerusalem in this manner, publicly, unintentionally. Remember why I said that this is the final week of his ministry. It's like, okay, let's take the blindfolds off now. You've been asking this guy questions. He's been speaking in parables and riddles. But here it is now revealed to you, this is the Messiah. Now, um, what about this? Um, what, what, what does this mean for uh, for us and for anyone who's observing and seeing this Savior? Well, it makes sense. It makes absolute sense. Seeing the, seeing the blinds removed, seeing the, 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 the miracles that he's performed, seeing and hearing the gospel, that the message of the good news that he's preached for men to come to repentance in God through him as he's been announcing. 
to place trust in Jesus Christ as God's chosen Savior. Question I ask at this point is, what's the alternative? Are there alternatives? Uh, I know we've had conversations recently as a church, you know, where people throw questions about there being alternatives and choosing to regard Jesus as though he was one amongst many. But we, we cannot be more mistaken um, about this because this is God's chosen Savior unveiled, revealed for all to see now. And um, the blindfolds are off. Everyone can see this is God's chosen Messiah. Um, and the call is to trust in him. Now, uh, just quickly moving on, Jesus also is... God's chosen judge, as we will see in the next uh, section of our text in, in Mark chapter 11 and verses 12 to 18. There we see Jesus um, turn up and head for Jerusalem. On the, first, on the, first, on the day of his arrival in, in um, Jerusalem, after that triumphal entry, revealing himself, because it was evening, the word says that he left, just went, did a recce, did a, did a recon of the temple area and went back to Bethany. I mean, Bethany is just not too far from Jerusalem, just about two miles from Jerusalem. And many would make those kinds of arrangements when they come for Passover, just to live just on the outskirts of town. Um, Now, this, this, Jesus, reveals, Jesus is revealed to us as God's judge. Well, just before we go on to that, if I may just come back on the first point. In receiving the Savior, um, just another, another point of application. In receiving the Savior, what do we look forward to? What do we hope for? Like those who received Jesus and celebrated him rejoicing, being glad for the Savior who has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of uh, um, David. What were these people hoping for? Obviously, just not, not, not unlike us, Jerusalem at that time and Israel as a whole was um, under Roman occupation. And ordinarily, I mean, I can identify with that. They were looking for their own state, their own country. They're looking for the covenants to be established, wanting to have their king established as well. And they hoped for this in Jesus Christ, a physical king to be restored, a physical king to be, to be set up and established. Um, what Would this be the kind of thing that Jesus would come and establish and bring about for them? Um, and in the same vein, what is it for us that trusting in Jesus would mean? What would that mean for us? Would putting our faith in Jesus and trusting him to, as our Savior, would that mean, okay, 
all of life's problems are solved now. Um, I'm hoping that Jesus will get me that dream job, prosper my business, you know, help me start a family, and so on and so forth. But um, as we see and as we will see, as we roll towards this final week of ministry, in, um, of, of Jesus' ministry, we will see that this, this kinds of this, this celebration and this joy at the onset indeed is somewhat short-lived, if not seemingly cut off. But then, true joy really results when Jesus eventually res- resurrects and, and rises from death uh, having taken away sin on the cross of Calvary uh, at his crucifixion. Um, coming back to the second point again, I beg, you, I beg your pardon. I know I'm, it seems like I'm just hopping back and forth. Second point being that um, Jesus, because Jesus is God's judge, we must remain in him so that we bear fruit for his pleasure. Um, in verses 12 to 18, we see Jesus returning to Jerusalem and on his way, noticing the fig tree uh, in, in full leaf, a little way off, went over to see if there's food on, if there's figs on there. Now, if you're like me, ah, you might come away thinking, ah, come is, is it that Jesus doesn't know the season for figs? Or is it that, I mean, what, 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 what did the fig tree do to deserve such harsh, seemingly harsh judgment on itself in that Jesus going there, not finding, not finding figs, would um, give such a hard judgment on the fig? Well, as we consider this, 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 uh, this chapter of Mark, it is, um, it is worth pointing out that this can, be, can easily be a, a difficult passage to understand and interpret, especially when we want to get bogged down in the details of this particular um, text, of this particular section. We will find rather that um, the way Mark has presented this with Jesus' curse on the fig tree on his way to Jerusalem and then uh, condemning the commercial activity in the temple. And then on the back of that, you see on the next day, the fig tree withered. Um, it's, it, it's quite easy to um, God has used, it's quite important to point something out just to give some explanation of the symbolism here. So, again, how do you respond to this account where it seems Jesus is hungry and angry at the fig tree for not having fruit when it's not time for figs? God has used figs in Scripture as a figure of speech in reference to Israel to express both his pleasure and displeasure in those who respectively trust in him and those who won't trust in him 
or those who would walk with him and those who won't walk with him. In one account, um, in Jeremiah 24, Jesus contrasted, if I'm, Jesus contrasted, and, I, and I'm, just for time, I'm not going to read, but I'll suggest, if you, you, if you want, you can put a finger there, Jeremiah 24. Jesus contrasted good figs, representing those he would preserve while they're away, while he's led them away to it in Babylonian captivity, in exile, and bring them back to the land. He contrasts those with rotten figs who were such as would stubbornly hold to the land or hold on against the word of God's prophets that he has proclaimed concerning um, concerning Israel and those he would judge wherever they went in self-exile until they were all wiped out. These God referred to as rotten figs. So the way the, this account is rendered, like I've said, book ending the condemnation of the money changers and commercial activity between the cursing and the withering of the fig tree suggests that this is one account to pronounce judgment on the temple for not producing the sort of fruit that God's looking for from the temple as God has intended. Let's, let me illustrate this point. Um, again, another figure of speech. In John chapter 15 um, and verses 5 and 8, Jesus says in John 15, 5, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And these things, this, this brings great glory to my Father. I mean, for a couple of weeks now, I've been kind of, you know, um, caught with John chapter 15, where God talks about, where Jesus talks about abiding in him, remaining in him, him being the vine and we believers or those who believe in him being branches. And he says, he is the vine, those who remain in him, and he in them will produce much fruit. And the fruit produced brings great glory to his father. So, here's the thing. Jesus is here acting as God's appointed judge um, and highlighting the fact that we remain accountable to him. Even as those who ran things in the temple remain accountable to God to bear fruit for God's pleasure. So, question as we come, to, come back into the text again. How was the temple doing in Jesus' judgment when he came to look for fruit? Remember, he visited the temple on his first day arriving in Jerusalem as publicly as the Savior. Um, how, how is the temple doing? Well, in Mark chapter 11, verse 15 to 16, we see Jesus comes back. When he arrives back in Jerusalem, he enters the temple. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. He enters the temple 
and begins to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. Um, I hope, I don't know if you're looking at that with me. And then he knocks over the tables of the money changers and, and the chairs of those selling doves. Jesus, what's going on? I hope this is not temple rage or some sort. But look what's happening. Um, in Mark chapter 15, 11 verse 15, what's really going on there is this. It's not like Jesus has a thing against exchanging money and sacrifices and animals and so on. But within the temple courts, this is like Jesus goes on to, exp, ex, ex, um, to, to make a point of this, to point out that um, what, what the issue is. Now, what's really going on here is for people coming to Passover to offer sacrifices, to bring their temple tax at this time as well, because once every year, people would, all male would come and pay a tax at, uh, for the temple. They would need to bring either the right amount of money or exchange something for their money and then pay their temple tax. Likewise, people come in to bring sacrifices. Imagine traveling all the way from the north down to, from Galilee down to Judea or even people traveling from other countries to come to Passover, bring in sacrifices with them. It's easier. Get to Jerusalem, buy something and offer this is all right if it's outside of the temple courts. Um, if you can imagine, I don't know if how many has been to the Excel Center or the O2, some place big enough to hold about 35 football pitches. Now about half of that, people who were not Jews could enter into that part of the, of the temple just to come and worship God. And then in about another quarter of that, Jewish women could enter and from there, of course, worship. And then, and then Jewish men could enter all of these areas, including the, the, Jew, the, the Jewish court, the court for Jewish male, just to come and worship God. But imagine all of these spaces being taken up with bleating goats, doves, money changers. Why? Not like there were no places outside the temple, but here the high priests and the Sadducees, just a handful of men, had a money exchange stall within the temple courts to undercut the Sanhedrin, Israel's council of elders, who had a money exchange court on the Mount of Olives outside the temple. They also had a stall for selling sacrificial animals at extortionate prices within the temple courts. You know, it reminds me of those vending machines on train platforms and airport boarding gates. You will pay while the vendor gets rich quickly. <laughs> and that was the thing that Jesus was hating on here or indignant about. And also, another thing, Mark 11 verse 16, he stopped everyone from using the temple uh, most versions would say as a marketplace. Actually, the temple was this so large. But here's what's going on. People are taking a route 
through the temple to just get from A to B by the shortest distance and carrying their goods through the temple, through the temple courts. Just imagine, I mean, just imagine somewhere that's supposed to be a place for worship, a place for people to gather and praise God. But you have hawkers, money exchange, you know, and then people carrying their stuff through the place. Where's the room to worship God? And he says here, he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer. Not just a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. Just recognizing the fact that all, and that's the, the intention of God, to bring all men to come to worship him in there. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. How is this relevant to us now? Why are we having to go through all of this? Well, think about us. The Bible, the word talks about us together being God's house. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 to 22. The scripture talks about us being God's house. Being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And then the cornerstone, the head of the corner is Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him and becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, we, Paul was writing this to people like us. We're not Jews. We're not Hebrews. We are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, consider these guys who were actually making you know, a, a physical temple into a marketplace. What kinds of things do we take into this temple that God is building? Into this spiritual house that God has purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Do we belong to him? Do we consider ourselves as being his and belonging to him? What do we let in to this spiritual house? What do we use? What do we do what do we stream listen to um, what kind of things do we let in to this spiritual house is a question hopefully we will not find ourselves in a place where the lord comes and condemns what he finds we will not find ourselves in a place where the lord comes and judges and throws out um, what he finds as in Take these branches off of his vine. Curse even these branches that they, that they just wither completely. Um, come back to that symbol of fruitfulness and the fig tree. If the branch stays connected to the vine and the branch is supplied by the vine, um, it will bear much fruit. What am I saying here? just by way of listening to this Lord, that we may not be judged, that we may not be, um, that we remain in him, rather than be judged, bear the fruit that he's looking for. Um, constantly, the thing the Lord does is bring us close to him by his word. Um, and 
urges us to remain in him. Something I struggled with, and I say, that's why I say I've, I've been, in the last couple of weeks, just been really, really drawn and attracted to this passage about John and abiding in Christ. You know, there's this thing we can easily do as believers where we come to Christ, get the salvation, um, you know, get the salvation call or profess it and get the badge and then we want to be out of here. As in out of his presence, away from Christ, like we can go it on our own. We just came in for a pit stop and gone, you know. We can, we, we can do these things, whatever we do, whatever way we serve the Lord, only by his supply, only by staying connected to him. Whatever plant you have of some sort, <laughs> be they potted peppers or tomatoes on your kitchen window garden, I'm sure you'll be delighted even if it's just one tomato that grows on that thing. Because it's doing exactly what you want it to do. Whatever ministry I'm engaged in, will we rely on Christ to enable us to carry it out? Be you, whether it's being a husband to my wife, whether it's being a father to my children, neighbor to my neighbor, and that's one of the biggest ones, or a brother to you, um, am I doing it by relying on Christ? He will weigh, he will judge, he will consider all of these things. And we, we must remember that sense of accountability, that accountability that we have to him for how we spend this life whilst he has brought us into himself. Now, just quickly moving on. Because Jesus is Lord, we can count on his power that is made available to us by faith. Let me make this straight clear from the gate. We can count on his power. I know reading that passage of scripture, <laughs> I'm not sure, I think I heard somebody just, you know, giggle a bit. <laughs> that, hey, you know, I tell you the truth. Have faith in God. You know, tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. Hey, understand something. One thing we've seen throughout Mark as we've up to this point in time, and I'll just take a few examples. I mean, um, the disciples find themselves struggling against strong winds on the Sea of Galilee. Very experienced fishermen among them. You know, Mark chapter 4 and verse 39, they find themselves with Jesus in the boat. And it's like, boy, aren't you, don't you care? We're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, what did he, what did he do? He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. That's Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. All this I say is just to highlight the power of 
Jesus' word. Whose word? Jesus' word. It's evident. Even from the dried up fig tree. Another example, Mark chapter 5 and verse 40. Verse 41. The crowd laughed at him. This is where he went to Jairus' house. His daughter had died. <laughs> the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. Took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. Let me tell you something. If you're not amazed, I don't know what's the problem. <laughs> because the disciples were absolutely terrified when Jesus said to the waves, silence, be still. They were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And with the case of Jairus' house, they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. You need to be. This is awesome power. Not, and who would not be, humanly speaking? That's us. But here's what Jesus does. He invites us as believers to participate in his authority. His word is powerful. He exercises great power. And back again to the analogy of the vine and the branches or the trees that bear fruit. We are connected to Jesus as members of his body. We are joined as branches of his kingdom for it to be extended Understand something. It's these these um, uh, analogies or, or parables or pictures, I don't believe they're randomly chosen. They're they are very well chosen because, check this, there is no tree that bears fruit for itself. Hello? There is no tree that bears fruit for itself. Instead, it, it does so for the pleasure of the one who has sown it. And Jesus invites us to take part, to participate in his authority through prayer. So, the interesting thing about this is that prayer is also a means of us being fruitful. And it is also the, a fruit of us staying with Christ. Can I encourage you? Uh, by just saying a few things here, that God answers prayer. He's the one who answers the prayer. Okay? Um, just like it is in John 15, 7, if we remain in him, our prayers, a fruit of remaining in him, will avail much. Cut that branch from the tree, from the vine, and try and plant it by itself, nothing will happen. Jesus says so himself. Nothing will happen. In order to experience his power, the follower in Christ, the follower of Jesus Christ must have a bold faith 
in the God who answers prayer. Now, I, I fear I'm going to get tongue-tied or lost trying to make this point clear. But it's not dependent on you, believer. It is not dependent on you because it is God who answers prayer. It is God who invites us to exercise faith with him. Let me share an illustration with you. So, um, interesting. Pastor Eve made, made, made an example, um, talked about this during the announcements. You know, talked about how the, we've been praying with a brother, praying for his accommodation, agree with him in prayer, and, hi, listen, if I know this, this is the same person we're talking about, right? Listen, we can have every doubt about what will happen. We can be unsure about what's going to come to pass. We can even quiver at the thought of, ah, is this going to be done? But here's the thing. In turning to God at all, in actually still coming to God and presenting our request, there is an exercise of faith there. We put our trust in God. We call upon God believing that, yes, God can do something. God can do something. We may say, oh, did Abraham doubt God, for example, and, you know, go do his own thing? He did, but did he trust God? Did he believe God? He did. Did he put faith in God? He did. And God answered. God fulfilled his promise, the thing that he said he would do. So here's the thing. Do we, um, time, time, will, time, will, time would not permit me to um, go into this in a very deep explanation, but understand something here as well. Whilst God invites us to take part in prayer, God also gives us, God also, I mean, prayer also gives us authority. It gives us, it has the power to change things. And indeed, as we look to God, as we look to God, we believe that Indeed, whilst prayer works, um, has the power to, um, while, while prayer centers on what God will do, it also gives us the trust, gives us the, builds in us the trust and the confidence in what God can do. Okay. In what God can do. But here's another very important thing here that Jesus highlights. You know, it, prayer also requires us who have received the mercy and the great forgiveness of God. Um, as we come to God to also extend that same mercy and grace that we have received to others. 
How are we able to pray to God at all? If God um, would count, if, if, if he would count our sins or count our iniquity as um, the psalmist says, who will stand? None of us. But we stand before God because of his mercy, because of his infinite mercy and his mercy towards us. So since we have been forgiven so many things, we cannot um, but forgive those who commit even the slightest insignificant compared to when we look at how we stand before God, if he should, if he should weigh us or judge us. All right. Lastly, we can... Um, counts we can do all of these things we can trust in Jesus Christ for salvation because in the salvation that he delivers to us we can remain in him so that we bear fruit for his pleasure we can count on his power in prayer that's made available to us through faith and we can do all these things despite the challenge and opposition of others, of those who reject him as savior. It's pretty straightforward what Jesus responds here as his authority is challenged when he enters Jerusalem. He comes to the temple area and leading priests, those who had already proposed, made plans to kill him because of their racket. Because they were doing what was not um, the plan or purpose of God. Turned the temple into a commercial enterprise. And they come to question the authority that Jesus has. Even to do these things that he was doing. To come in as savior. <laughs> to come in as judge. And indeed to exercise the power of God, even in judging. Um, by what authority are you doing all of these things? But they would not answer a simple question because seeing that um, they have not made their minds up even to accept the testimony and the witness of John who comes before Jesus. I mean, it's clear. People will stand in the way. People who do not want to receive the gospel will stand in the way and stand in opposition to it. They will stand in opposition and oppose and, and make it appear like, oh well, you haven't really got any authority. You haven't really got any ground. You haven't got any basis for these things that you do and would make the law suit themselves indeed to, to create the impression of having authority. But then the one who is Lord, the one who is Savior, the one who is Judge, is the one who we stand and walk with. And he's, he is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Um, and in this, we find that truly we can 
um, truly we have a savior who returns. And whilst he makes this entrance into Jerusalem, there still remains a return that he will make, even coming to this world. It will not be so humble as that which he makes into Jerusalem in this, in this account. Instead, he'll be coming in judgment. He'll be coming in all authority uh, to take his own to himself and to, make his, to have his foes under his footstool. Um, have you received or heard the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ before today? Or are you hearing it again now and thinking, mm, well, there's, there's other options. What, what about those who don't believe? What about you who hears the gospel today? Who hears the fact that Jesus is God's chosen savior? Jesus is the one who we have to come to God through. He's the one that God provides that we may look to him and have a hope of life and not fear what happens to us. I mean, look at the current situation we're in. Delta variant. I'm sure that's, that's, that's gets to sound like a cuss word now. <laughs> you know, puts the fear of God in the hearts of many. You know, and I guess it's probably informing loads of people who want to go and look for the, the COVID vaccine now at a drop-in center. You know, or what? Stubbornly, you know, stand, stand my ground. I'm going to just trust in God. Fine, yes. But there is someone who, can, who is greater than all of these things. There is someone who holds life in his hand. Life beyond the life that we hold on to so dearly in this world. His name is Jesus Christ. He is indeed the Savior who returns. Um, but he will come again as the Savior of those who have put their trust in him, Savior of those who will take hold of the salvation that he delivers, Savior of those who want to please him all of their life, having made a profession of faith in his name, and Savior of those who will count on his power and take part in it through prayer. Let me encourage you to join us in praying even on Tuesday as uh, by way of application. And yes, we can trust in God and his Savior um, to, despite the challenge and the opposition that we face, even in this world today, we can trust and hope in his name, this Savior who returns again. Let us pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.